For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Seven Lamb Productions presents Atlas Avenue Beat. Case One The Silver Casket. Part Eight Chucky. Well, here I am again. Paul called me to inform me that Carter Sucka Dick was on his way over to kill me, and here he was. Carter moved out of the shadows of the stairwell, his gun pointing right at my heart. Well, hello again, Mr. Locke. Vendel send you here? Vendel isn't calling the shots anymore. I'm going to have to do this thing all by myself. I have to, if I want my money. Well, then who's paying you to do this? Oh, it's Xavier Fundelman. Xavier Fundelman? I made that name up. You think I'm really going to tell you who hired me? (sighs) It was worth a shot. It was a nice try. He walked closer. There was no way out of this. I could only try one thing. I pointed behind him. Carter, look! Over there! I'll never fall for that. Okay, maybe not, but it was going to be his undoing this time. Edith creeped out of the bathroom. She approached Carter quietly, cautiously. What was she planning on doing? Goodbye, Mr. Locke. So this is it? The big sleep? I'm afraid so. And that's when I saw it. In Edith's hands, the fluorescent lighting glinting off the tip. Don't worry. You don't have to fear death. Neither do you. What? And that's when it happened. Edith raised her axe and, well, she cut off his fucking head. Carter's head went flying. It hit the ground and rolled down the stairs. Blood poured out his neck hole like a geyser. Mr. J, he was going to kill you. I know, Edith. You saved my life. Edith, what are you doing? You don't have to cut him anymore. He's dead. You cut his head off. I'm not taking any chances, Mr. J. Edith kept bringing the axe down on Carter's body. Body parts went flying. Blood squirting. Edith, he's dead. Mr. J, I've seen way too many goddamn horror movies to believe that. We've got to make sure he's dead. The killer always comes back. What movies are you talking about? Halloween, Hellraiser, Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even that goddamn orange-haired doll. Chucky? That's the one. Oh, man. Chucky. Child's Play really did a number on me when I first saw it. I hate voodoo. It's the only way to be sure. The odds of Carter coming back to life and trying to kill us again were next to nil. But maybe she was right. You can never be too sure. All right, Edith, give me the axe. It's better if we chop off his legs, too. Mr. J, this is going to take way too fucking long if we share the axe. Hold on a sec. I watched as Edith went to her desk, stood on her chair, and moved one of the ceiling panels. She pulled out another axe. Edith, you had two axes? 
I was gonna get rid of him, but it's a good thing I didn't. Oh, Edith. Holy shit! What? I think I saw his finger move. I think he's coming back to life like Michael fucking Myers. This was a bit ridiculous. I mean, we were comparing real life to horror films from the late 70s and 80s. But Carter did try to kill us, and if someone did use voodoo to bring him back to life, he would probably try to kill us all over again. Screw it. Take this! What in the holy hell is going on here? Edith and I stopped chopping as Paul came out of the stairwell holding Carter's head in his hand. What are you two doing? Paul, glad you're here. Edith saved me. She took her axe and chopped off Carter's head before he had a chance to kill me. And now what? And now we're chopping him into pieces so he won't reanimate like Michael Myers or... Chucky. Really? You're worried about him coming back to life and trying to kill you all over again? You're not even doing it right. What are you suggesting? You gotta destroy the head. Oh, God. Paul had spiked Carter's severed head into the ground as if it were a football. Blood, brain, and skull flew about the room. Okay, okay, I I think we're done. I know I joined in, but this is getting kind of ridiculous. You sure, Jimmy Jong? I think I just saw his foot move. No, Edith just bumped his foot with her foot. No, I didn't. I think Tubby's right. Carter moved. Guys, come on, he's dead. And he's not coming back to life. But you didn't sever his foot from his leg. Yeah, Mr. J, we didn't even do that. No, guys, really. Let me grab my axe from the car. You have an axe, too? Bought it today. Let's hurry up and chop this guy into mulch before the cops get here. You know what scares me when you say things like that, Paul? BRB! Paul came back with a brand new steel and hickory trail axe. Then Edith continued chopping Carter's body to bits. I decided not to join in anymore, but then Paul started imitating Chucky. He reenacted some scenes from Chow's play as a way of egging me on. It worked. I ended up joining in and we annihilated that guy's body. The police arrived at a quarter till seven. Somehow, Paul was able to explain the mess we made. I don't know how he did it. I mean, we just turned Alyssa and Carter's sucker dick into a pile of bloody mush. After the police left, I got Edith a cab. I want to thank you, Edith. If it wasn't for you, it would be me up there in a bloody mulch pile, not Carter. Actually, I probably wouldn't look the way Carter looks now. I don't think he would have chopped me into a bunch of pieces. I think he was just going to shoot me. Jesus, we really went crazy up there. I don't think I'm going to sleep well tonight. I mean, we messed him up. I'm caked in Suckadick's blood. Anyway, thank you, Edith. Really. I'm glad I was here to help. Why were you still at the office? No reason. You were trying to find a place to hide the axe, weren't you? No. Yes, you were. You were trying to hide it in the bathroom. Uh Uh-uh. I was doing work and shit. Edith, you can keep the axe. Really? Just one, though. And you have to hide it so other people can't find it. And please stop threatening people, especially every single woman who enters the office. Okay, Mr. J. Thank you. Now, have a good night. Kinda hungry. I think I'm gonna make beef stew tonight. That's a little disturbing, but enjoy.
I decided to walk home. When I got to the apartment, I stripped out of my bloody clothes. Literally bloody, not the English curse word. And instead of throwing the clothes in the laundry basket, I threw them in the garbage. I'll need to get another suit soon. I awoke the next morning to Paul banging on the door. Apparently the cleanup of the office was going to take a lot longer than I expected. He'd brought all the O'Reilly documents over to my apartment so I could continue my work. While the bloody office, again, not the English curse word, was bad news. Paul did present some good news as well. I could have some alone time with Vendel. By alone time I mean questioning time, not fuck time. Carter didn't provide any information before his untimely demise, but maybe Vendel would be a little bit more open. Mr. J, you sure it's okay the catnip is here? Since I couldn't go to the office, I brought the office to me. Edith had set up a little receptionist corner in the living room. She'd asked if she could bring her cat catnip to work. I said yes, after all, I owed her a lot. It's fine, Edith, but I don't think he likes me. Sure he does. I really don't think so. If he don't, I'll fucking kill him. Please don't. I think we've experienced enough death recently. I can tie his little paws together and put him on two treadmills facing opposite directions so he gets stuck in the middle. Or could you just put him in another room and shut the door? Oh yeah, I could do that too. I spent the morning going through police files and pictures of the O'Reilly mansion. At noon I head out to the precinct. Hopefully I could get something out of Vendel. I met Paul at the entrance of the police department at exactly 12.30. The place was hustling and bustling as loud as a child's playground on a Saturday afternoon when the mothers aren't around. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy John. Glad you're on time. We gotta do this fast before Captain Hiltz returns. Captain Hiltz. The less said about him, the better. Let's just say when I was let go, he was happy to see me leave. We never got along. He was like Crimson and I was like Clover, if Clover was bad. I've never understood that song. This way, Jimmy Jong. Oh, two more things. One, you got 30 minutes tops. And two, you have yourself a translator. What? I don't need a translator. Vendel speaks English. I'm aware. But when Captain Hiltz wanted to have a few words with the man, he couldn't quite understand the accent. You know how them Russians are. So unlike us Americans. Well, yeah, they're Russian. Right. Here we are. Paul opened the interrogation room's door. I walked into the warm, gray room to find two men sitting at the one small aluminum table. One was Vendel, the other was the translator. The translator is named Barry. Okay. Thirty minutes. Paul shut the door. I walked over to the table and shook Barry's hand. We said hello and I took a seat. Vendel stared off to the corner of the room where a camera was hooked up watching us. All right, Vendel. We don't have much time. I have all the time in the world, Mr. Locke. I am not rushed. He says he has a lot of time. What? Vendel says he has a lot of time. Y- yes, I know. I-, I heard him. I'm just translating. 
I actually don't need a translator, unlike Captain Hiltz. I understand what Vendel says even with his thick accent. Sorry, buddy. I'm the translator. They hired me for the day, and if I don't do my job, I don't get paid. But I don't need you. I understand, Vendel. Mr. Locke is getting upset. I like when he is upset. Oh, Vendel likes when you're mad. I heard him, and I think the word he used was upset. Who's the translator here? You are, but... That's right. Let me just do my job, okay, buddy? <sighs> Vendel, I heard you don't want to talk. But I'm pretty sure if you spill the beans, I can pull some strings to get you out of here. In America, you become rat. But in Russia, the rat becomes you. I will not talk. He ain't no rodent, so back off. Really? That's the translation? You're brilliant. Verbatim. Vendel, who hired you? No one. Not a single person. That's a lie, and you and I both know it. Someone hired you and Carter to kill me. No, no, no. Someone hired us to keep you away from O'Reilly case. You did not obey. That is why we brought on torture. You kept doing your shit, so we had to go all saw on your ass. That is not what he said, and I feel you should know you're a horrible translator. That's what you think. Vendel, I recall the torture. I still have my first-class plane ticket to Costa Rica, by the way. Thank you very much. I plan on leaving for vacation once I crack this case. And while I appreciate your weird Russian torture, I can recall you and Carter threatening to shoot me in the head. You were going to kill me. As a last resort. Eventually, bitch. Really, Barry, did I offend you? Just doing my job. <sighs> Vendel, are you part of the Russian mob? In America, you are part of Russian mob. But in Soviet Russia, mob becomes you. Yes. Does that mean yes? Yes. I'm asking Vendel. Duh. That means yes. Jesus. Vendel, who was Carter? Was. Was? Oh, you haven't heard? Carter's dead. Dead? I do not believe you. You a liar. I'm not lying. He died last night. He escaped and came to my office in an attempt to kill me. He failed, as you can see. But before he died, he mentioned a payment. What was that payment, Vendel? And who offered it? I say nothing. My lips are sealed, bitch. You don't look too good. I think you do believe me about Carter's demise, and I think it upsets you. Who was Carter? He wasn't part of the mob. How did you know him? We were friends. We were pals. And how did you two meet? Vandal? In jail. Carter wanted me to teach him about Russian mob even though he would not be accepted. We became friends. Prison, Carter and I taught Russian to our friends. That's not what he said. I will fight you. That's exactly what he said. So Carter's death upsets you? Too bad you'll miss his funeral by being trapped behind bars. I really hoped the funeral was going to be a closed casket. I know what you're trying to do. I still will not talk. I ain't saying shit, bitch. Enough, enough. I am not saying bitch. You keep adding this. You are really the worst translator. I am not even speaking another language. Thank you. I get it. You hate Mr. Locke. I do not like him either, but you are ruining my defiance by adding your own. Just stop. Actually... I didn't understand anything he said right there. Jesus Christ, just go, just leave, get out of here, vamoose. We do not need a translator. Wait, what? He's saying get out of here, Barry. Yes, fuck off, Barry. Yeah, Barry, fuck off. Fucking Barry. I know, right, this guy? Barry finally left after Vendel and I high-fived and hit him with a few more insults. Paul came in to complain about us kicking him out, but when he saw how much fun we were having making fun of him, he couldn't help but join in. Yeah, Barry, get the hell out of here, you piece of shit. <laughs> you suck, Barry. Go kill yourself. Paul then left Vendel and myself alone. Time was running out. Do not mistake our shared contempt for Barry as newly found friendship. I still do not like you. And I you. 
Is it true that my friend is dead? Yes. I'm sorry. Andrew. Andrew Gardman. What was that? That is the name. Andrew Gardman. That is all I can say. All you can say or all you know. All right, Jimmy Jong. Time's up. Captain Hilt is back. Two seconds, please. No time. He can't find you in here. Good luck, Mr. Locke. I didn't know whether to believe him or not. I'd run out of time. Paul led me out the back entrance. He said he would run the name Andrew Gardman through the database and see if he found anything. Things were heating up, but I still didn't have enough to go on and time was running out. Hopefully the name would spark something. I walked the desolate side streets of Breckenridge, a shortcut to my apartment. Storm clouds had moved in, but it had yet to rain. I kicked at a small pebble as I thought about the precinct. As much as I hated to admit it, I missed that place. Sure, being a PI was nice, but not having to answer to an overblown airheaded captain, not having as many restrictions, but the KHPD was where I spent many a night working hard to catch the next criminal and solve the next crime. A drop of rain hit me on the shoulder. Luckily, I had made it home. Oi, Mr. Locke. I turned around to see Terence O'Reilly. He stood by his car, holding an umbrella in one hand and half a cigar in the other. Mr. O'Reilly. It was a burglary. Excuse me? It was a burglary. I don't know how I missed it before. One of the greatest pieces of art from the 18th century was stolen from our art room. It was a vase. Are you sure? 100% sure. And you just noticed it was gone? Noticed it missing this morning. Well, this changes everything. And that's why I'm here. Well, if it was a burglary, we can probably rule out your family. And it'll be best to call Paul and have him check for fingerprints, examine the rest of the house. Yes, Mr. Locke, but it may not be that hard of a case to solve now. Why? Because they already know who took it. Atlas Avenue Beat, written by Robert M. Lamb, edited by Dylan Whitehead, starring Jack Austin as Locke, Amy LeRae as Edith, Jose Caraballo as Paul, Brian Messick as Arthur, Shannon McCarthy as Lorraine, Megan Austin as Angela, co-starring Hope Ennis, Amber Simpson, Shannon Lee, Mike Butler, Ashley Wilkins, Matthew Manning, and Justin Stewart. Music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. This has been a Seven Lamb production.